Welcome everybody to the Andrew Curtis Show. It's been a week off between episodes because I have been madly running around um, connecting with people who I thought had a story to tell that you would enjoy hearing. Uh, and so, uh, one of the first that I spoke to is this week's guest and someone who um, I was fascinated by the development of his um, business in social media to engaging with the Chinese community, uh, both within New Zealand and then also helping New Zealanders engage with China. Uh, it's been really cool because in many ways, uh, my guest Simon Young would consider himself to be a pretty typical Kiwi um, who suddenly found himself in this place where he had an opportunity to engage with a completely different culture. Um, and so naturally fascinated by that, wanted to hear more about it. And so um, we arranged a time to catch up in the middle of town. And well, this is what he had to say. Well, welcome everybody to uh, the Vero building uh, in, in Auckland City. And I'm here with Simon Young. And Simon, you and I have known each other for quite a long time. Quite a long time, which at is least, a terrifying thing to be able to say. At least 13 years, which oh, makes us both sure. sound really old. Oh man, <laughs> well we met when we were 10, so that's fine. <laughs> that's right. Um, so, uh, man, first of all, I'm glad I could finally nail you down. Yep, yep. Uh, very busy man and um, busy across a whole bunch of different things, which yep. which I love. But cool. one of the things I wanted to start up with is that you, um, one of the main things that impressed me about you has been your involvement with the Chinese community in New sure. Zealand. Yeah, yeah. Um, and particularly through your social media channels yep. and things like that. So, um, look, what's the first thing that comes to mind when we talk about that? And we'll just sure. see where the conversation ends up. Okay, well, I'll just give a bit of an introduction myself. I'm creative director of the Red Circle Network, which is, um, what are we? <laughs> We're a technology company. We're a, a uh, digital agency. Basically, we come alongside businesses that have any interest in the China market, yeah. and we take them on a journey. Um, that at the moment, it looks like we run their social media channels for promotion. Uh, it also looks like training and developing their staff. Um, uh, eventually, there's a whole bunch of other things that we're going to look at. Yeah. Um, key word in that being network, because uh, okay. it's all about connections. Um, so we that, that's that's the business side of it. How mm. I got into it um, as a curious Kiwi. Um, yeah. So I have. I have nothing to really connect me to China uh, up until the age of about 35 uh, when I got an invitation from uh, a Chinese company because uh -huh. uh, I've always been, always, for the last 10 years I've been in the social <laughs> media space yeah. um, doing training and workshops and that sort of stuff. Um, so I'd done some in New Zealand and Australia and then this company from Shanghai emailed middle of 2010 and said, can you do a workshop up in Shanghai? Okay. And after figuring out this wasn't spam because they weren't asking me for money, right, right. <laughs> I was like, okay, sure. Um, Okay. How, did they, how did they find you? They found us just on, online. Oh, um, so nice. we, we'd been doing events around uh, Auckland, Wellington, Christchurch, Sydney. Um, so they sort of must have okay. been doing some searching. Um, okay. The only thing is, if you know anything about Chinese internet, mm. it's a completely different planet over there. There's no yeah. Facebook, there's no Twitter, there's no, not even really Wikipedia. Yeah. Um, so we had in that six month period before getting ready for that workshop, we had to do some serious research. Okay. No and that kind of um, ignited a, a latent interest that I had in China. Uh -huh. Like that, that interest in China, so roll back about um, five years before that, um, and, and I, I was reading, I was on a reading binge, mm -hmm. and I love the future. Mm -hmm. I love everything about the future, and um, social media particularly caught my interest. And China was really on my radar, but only in a real passive way. Mm. Didn't have any Chinese friends. Um, mm -hmm. Didn't even eat that much Chinese food. <laughs> <laughs> Not real stuff, you know. Yeah, uh, right. um, but I was reading books like there was this awesome book called China Friend or Foe, oh, like okay. a real provocative title yeah, and actually sure. a really nuanced read because it was saying, "Here's the Western world, yeah. and um, here's this rising power, rising faster than any other country in the world ever, right. uh, called China." And yeah. um, the example they used, they had real big picture stuff, but then they had like little anecdotes. And they were giving the example of Italy, like Italy was the designer, China was the manufacturer. And this is way back in 2004, they're saying, well, did you know that there's designers coming out of China? Mm. I'm like, oh, that's interesting for the rest of the world. Yeah. <laughs> this is a real massive time in history. That's interesting, put the book back on the shelf and put that interest back on the shelf. So this um, invitation in 2010 was like, I'll do something with this, you know. Don't just um, don't just have a trip to China and do your normal workshop. Yeah. For one thing, you can't, because <laughs> I was like, who's going to be at this workshop? Oh, and, of course. And, and they said, well, it's multinational corporations. It's McDonald's. Yeah. It's Johnson and Johnson. I was like, oh, great. Um, okay. <laughs> yes, we can do this. And right. then take straight to Google and start Classic entrepreneurial kind of like, yeah, I can, how do I do it? And then start, yeah, you bite off as more than you can chew and you start chewing like crazy. Sure. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So we got somebody to um, give us um, Chinese lessons. Uh -huh. um, funny thing is, so the, the person giving me lessons only had time to do three lessons. Then uh -huh. her job got crazy busy. And she uh, how many so, more lessons do you need to learn Chinese? Surely. I a mean, gazillion. Four, right? <laughs> <laughs> a gazillion. Yeah, yeah. But, yeah. Um, 
so the big, the most important thing I remember that she still said was Simon, stop speaking English. Right. Because there's um, there's a, a way of learning Chinese that is written in English letters, uh -huh. and it's so easy to say them in the way that we're used to. Oh right. But it's actually not like that. Can you give me an example? Um, so say the um, uh, S H I in uh, English, we we might look at that and we go, I'm not quite sure how to say that. Is it is it she? Is it sure? But in Chinese, it's sure. Ah, okay. <laughs> Which is actually a totally different sound. It's a very foreign sound to us. Mm. And so I just had to make this adjustment in my mind to not try and fit it into the English language. Right. Um, and, and so there are some things that make things easier to remember, like ni hao, which yeah. is like hello. You think your knee on your leg, and then how, like how do you yeah. do? Yeah. Ni hao. And you can tell some people speaking Chinese with a Kiwi accent, it's like, okay, they're not really doing it. And so I'm quite interested in music. So I treated it as if it was musical sounds. And that was a profound mind shift. That's fascinating yeah. to me. Yeah, and I found that I just have this thing with language. It's like I'd already learned Samoan by being married to a Samoan and trying to find out what are the in-laws talking about. <laughs> <laughs> so, so my my yeah. brain already had a spare language slot. Okay. But then it's really funny. As soon as I started to learn Chinese, my brain still only had two slots. Uh -huh. So I'd be so speaking to my. Went out the window. It sort of did. Like I was speaking <laughs> to my in-laws, and the, the only thing I could think of was Chinese. They uh -huh. looked at me funny like several times. Like, sorry, what? Yeah. <laughs> But um, eventually, I, th I think I've got to three slots now. Okay. Um, yeah, yeah. The brain is a, is an interesting thing, eh? Yeah. Um, but yeah, just just not speaking English and and speaking Chinese when I'm speaking Chinese, mm. if, that, if that makes any sense. No, it does. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I love that idea of treating it like music. Yes. Like a, treating it like a like a sound or a, totally. um, the same way you'd ha you'd make a certain sound on an instrument. Absolutely. Um, yeah. As opposed Definitely. to tying it to I don't know particular pronunciation. So. Very much. Very much. So, so tell me more. I mean, I'm I'm fascinated by that. So yeah. So, so this this language journey then, like what what else started to show up for you when you were? Well, well the way that I did it was quite. Um, it seemed quite logical to me, but I've talked to other people about it, and it seems like a really unusual way to learn a language. Uh -huh. So basically, I used a lot of social media. Okay. Um, like we used to live on Lawn Street in the middle of Auckland City, uh -huh. and you'd walk down that street, and it's 90% Asian faces. You you can't tell if it's Korean or Chinese, uh -huh. but I would like be wanting to go up to people and say ni hao, but yeah. you just don't do that, you know, yeah, right. I'm not that outgoing. Uh -huh. um, and yet social media, you, you're totally okay to do that. <laughs> yeah. So there's a, a, a an app called Weibo, which is, it gets called Chinese Twitter, because yeah. it's got the same character limit, 140 characters. Yeah. And so I got on Weibo, which is brand new in 2010, it was really super hot. Oh, that's what I've heard people call Weibo. Weibo, yeah, yeah, yeah that's right. right. It's actually okay. pronounced Weibo, yeah, yeah. <laughs> there you go. So I got on here, and, and you can search by location. So yeah. I go, okay, who's here in Auckland? Okay. And I just started, you know, targeting the, the top most followed people in Auckland uh -huh. and some of them were like students who'd just come to New Zealand really? and I, I just became friends with them because nice. it was a real win-win mm. um, it was like uh, they need to practice English like really really need to practice English uh -huh. and I need to practice Chinese so it was super win-win mm. I actually experienced the same thing in reverse when I went to Shanghai okay um, I, I was living there as a foreigner for five months and okay. just had that same thing of like with language learning, if you feel dumb every single day, you're you're on the right learning curve. Nice. You're at that right point of nice. um, pushing through stuff you don't know. Yeah. And, and in real life situations, like when you're in a taxi and you don't actually know how to say stop. Huh. <laughs> like, Tell oh. me about that. Uh, so like, well, basically, um, I'm thinking, how do I say stop? And I think I'm just thinking, and we've gone past where I need to stop, and I'm going, yeah. mm, nah, nah, nah. <laughs> like yeah. just pointing, yeah. like using body language and thinking. I gotta learn how to. So then I just go to one of my friends that I've met online sure. and just ask for it. Yeah. And um, so I so going back to when I first learned here in Auckland, um, I quickly got like thousands of followers because okay. I, I said, you know, I'm a friendly native English speaker, yeah. which is the equivalent of saying I have free gold. Who wants some gold? <laughs> really? Because <laughs> in China you can't get Facebook, you can't yeah. get Twitter. The um, the demand supply ratio is really low, so there's uh -huh. not many foreigners who are willing who have time to be a language partner. I see. And there's heaps of like millions of Chinese people who want to practice English yeah. conversationally. Yeah. Because they all they all learn English from primary school. Sure. But often by the time they're in their mid twenties, mm. unless they're working in a foreign trade company or mm. or they've gone overseas, they've just forgotten it. Mm. So it's very easy. That's the scary part. It's easy to forget a language. Yeah. I'm like oh, I wish that wasn't true. Um, do you find the reverse, you know, you mentioned when you were speaking Chinese that you were speaking yeah. it in English. Mm. Um, did you find, do you find the reverse to be true for Chinese people as well, that that's their approach? Or? Definitely, definitely. Um, so sometimes you can hear a very strong accent. Yeah. And like some of my friends who've been here for like 15 years, they still have a strong Chinese accent. Yeah. And other people, they've been here a year and they pick up the Kiwi accent. Interesting. And I'm not really sure why. Okay. I think it's to do with 
musicality. Uh, okay. I think it's to do with humour. Okay. Uh, like, like I, I sort yeah. of. Eventually, this may become an app. Who knows? Um, but over seven years now, uh, I've been meeting new friends online and just going, um, just starting conversations. And some people are super nervous, and, and they'll be like um, trying to say the right thing in the right way, mm. uh, and assuming that there is a right way of doing English. And that's the thing with English; it's so democratic. Mm, yeah. That, that, that we we basically right. stole words from all these different languages. Oh, it's a cannibalistic kind of <laughs> yeah. So I always say to Chinese friends like. Chinese words, one word has so many meanings. Sure. In English, we got one meaning with so many words. It's, right. It's totally other way around. Um, and so people who are very concerned about getting it right, because the Chinese educational style is like, get it right or you'll be punished. Okay. It's, it's, it's stick-based, not carrot-based. Yeah, right. Whereas my, my thing, I, I sort of call it um, oxytocin addiction. Okay. Like, I just love connecting with people. Uh-huh. And when I find that moment where even if we don't really get each other, when we finally get something of what each other's saying, it's like there's a breakthrough. There's a there's wow. a dopamine hit wow. that happens in the brain. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I remember this moment when um, music was another thing. Like people would send me Chinese songs, and I would gradually be building my vocabulary. I've not, never been like a metrics oriented person. Uh-huh. I'm starting to be now, um, but I, I never go. I know this many words. My goal is to get to this many words. Uh-huh. But it's like um, somebody gave me a song, and I was listening to the lyrics, and it goes, "Nisha water xingfu." And, and I was like, Ni, sure, water. Oh, that means I am your. And then there was this, like, this gap, Xingfu, what, what the heck is that? And I was on the bus at the time this is happening, and I Googled, I, I, I'm trying to use my pinyin that I've learned to spell the word Xingfu. So your, your what, sorry? Uh, oh, sorry, um, pinyin is the English letters spelling Chinese words. Oh, okay, thank yeah, you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, right. Okay, cool. So, so that's one of the things I learned from my, my teacher my first lesson. Right, okay. And I typed it into Google Translate, happiness. And so I just got a massive dopamine hit right there. You right. are my happiness. Yes, achievement unlocked. Nice. So I accidentally gamified learning a language. Wow. <laughs> I love it. And I it. thought, actually, I wish my Chinese friends had this yeah. because so often their experience is all stick-based and like, but it's the people who have the slightly rebellious, slightly whimsical mindset that actually mm. do really well. Mm. Yeah. 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 So. You've done a bit of study into um, neurology, have you? Accidentally, like yeah. <laughs> I, never, I never formally studied anything. I like I, yeah. I, um, I, the only times I've been to university is to teach them. Okay. <laughs> so we've consulted with Auckland, Massey, and Lincoln, uh, okay. uh, and we're currently working with uh, EIT, Eastern mm. Institute of Technology. Um, yeah, but um, no, it's it's amazing what you can learn out there. <laughs> uh, I mean, I agree. It's actually um, I would have to credit most of what I've learned about neurochemistry to Simon Sinek. Right, um, yes, yes. He's, he's massive on it. If, by the way, if you're listening, you don't know who he is, um, look up uh, books like Start With Why uh, yes. and also Leaders Eat Last. Um, Leaders Eat Last in particular, actually, he goes yep. into a lot of... He's never been to a Simon Church. Well, <laughs> Leaders, <laughs> Leaders, <laughs> Eat. <laughs> Leaders Eat constantly. Absolutely. Right. Um, yeah. You said something else that I want to come back to as well that um, I found fascinating when you said that on the one hand you don't consider yourself an outgoing sociable kind of person <laughs> yep. but then you've, you're in the business of social media yes. and loving to connect with people. Totally. So yeah. tell me about that. Yeah, yeah. So this was interesting. So right, right back in the early days of Twitter, for example, mm-hmm. um, we would be training and consulting to companies that uh, eventually wanted to learn this. And I would find that salespeople especially, who are naturally gregarious, outgoing, mm. verbal people, uh-huh. they really struggle to understand what is the point of this. Uh-huh, if I want to okay. talk, I'll talk. I'll pick up the phone, right? Yeah. The people who really aced it were the developers, designers, the introverts, who actually communicate better in writing because, and I'm one of these people, and I, I've been trying to figure this out for myself. Like I can get up in front of an audience and mm. speak, mm. but... Um, it's a little bit draining. It's it's not like some people just get continually yeah. fueled by it. Sure. And so I love communicating and writing. Okay. And I thought, why is that? And I started looking at the other people who were doing well, and I thought, maybe, maybe this is my theory. Uh-huh. There's so much going on in, in your head that to be able to write it out actually gives you a bit of space. Mm. Whereas if you're in a real world, you know, full bandwidth situation, yeah. there's too much data. Ah. Yeah, yeah. That's, That's my suspicion anyway, yeah. No, I like that. I, I yeah. think um, as I've learned, and fortunately through people I've spoken to during the podcast as well, um, that it's amazing how much, if you just accept the fact that some people will approach things in a different way that won't work for you, yes. but that that's okay. Yes, that's a huge it's, thing to oh, realize man. in this life. Yeah. 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 Especially, you know, I, I, I said my um, title is creative director. Uh-huh. I, I used to be CEO. I used to have to figure everything out myself. Right. So, so this year I've, I've hired somebody to be my CEO. All right. I, I've hired a boss, That's basically. Yeah, yeah. Okay. And, and that was especially coming from that sort of uh, idea of like, 
nobody can be good at everything. Yeah. And um, to try and stretch myself too thin is not a great idea at this moment. Mm. The the business needs me to be really performing excellently in that creative director role. Yeah. Uh, and having boundaries just makes me feel so good. Yeah. 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 It's actually a very refreshing. Um, uh, step away from being ego driven as well. Yes. Because I'm, I'm very modest and I'm so proud of that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm probably one of the most modest people you'll meet. I'm the most modest. No one is more modest than me. That's right. My I mean, modesty is huge. Yeah, anyway. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> That's really cool though. So, yeah. but you, you found that a very natural space to fit into then? Or was there a. Well, bit of... there's conflict all the time and that's to be expected. Like, uh -huh. um, and this has actually come about from making a lot of mistakes. Um, mm. and, and every so often in my moments of wisdom thinking, you know, I don't have enough people who are gonna tell me the truth. Mm. Uh, first of all, enough people wow. who are actually with me in, in the situation observing me and then giving me the feedback. Like mm. that's two things. Like um, in 2015, I basically went to China on my own and it was, um, I learned a whole lot. Yeah. Um, but you know, there's a lot of business goals I didn't meet. And so now I'm realizing I need to be much better. I need people around me to do that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but, you know, every day I'm being challenged on something and that's very uncomfortable. Mm. But whenever I start to feel this is too uncomfortable, I'm like, well, this is what I signed up for, right? Right. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, it sounds like from what you've said, your whole approach to life is very learning driven. Oh, yeah. Which I, I think. I love learning. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, makes that a lot more accessible. Definitely. That's really true, actually. Um, yeah, I think if I didn't love learning, then yeah. I would probably be in some other job. Oh, sure. Uh, yeah, yeah, I would probably be doing something different. Even even just choosing to go, because our company used to be just social media. Mm -hmm. uh, I say traditional social media, but that's not even a thing, because yeah, it's right. only like 10 years ago. Um, so it's a long time on the internet, mate. It is a long time, <laughs> years, shorter than dog years, yeah. yeah. Um, but we could have stayed in that space and probably done quite well. Sure. But we just, this invitation to China kind of set us on a track of, um, China's the biggest consumer market in the world uh, and growing. Yeah. Uh, it's the biggest economic power in the world soon mm. or now, or we don't know. Mm. Um, and also, well, Trump is sort of accelerating that, <laughs> I reckon. <laughs> Thanks. Um, but you know, in New Zealand, we've got this really key opportunity, like which, which wag how can we be hitched to both wagons and let's yeah. try for as long as possible. Mm. We've already got so much affinity with the American culture. We've got Hollywood that sort of owned the 20th century, but the 21st century is going to be the Asian century. Interesting. So, you know, culturally, we've got a long way to go. So for me as a Kiwi who had no background with Chinese anything, yeah. um, I'm the kind of person that I want to reach. And, yeah. you know, we should, huh. we should be more curious about Chinese culture and not just tr trouble with Kiwi businesses. We're so sales oriented. Mm. We just approach the situation, what can I get out of this? Mm. Which can be a good thing to have in business, but it can really make you stumble in China. Okay. So like tell me more about that. A government delegation will go to China, go to three cities, have all these sort of banquets, all this kind of matchmaking. It's like speed dating. Uh-huh. And they'll come back and they'll be expecting sales. And that's not how China works. Okay. So <laughs> like, tell me more about that. Um, how China, does China Chinese work? culture is super relational. Uh -huh. Um and um, it's very much like a business meeting will be nonsense that the, the first time if you're just thinking what I want to get out of this mm. you'll be talking about where you came from where you've traveled to right. uh, what types of dishes you've tasted you'll be talking about different you won't probably be talking that much about politics yeah uh, right. <laughs> you'll talk a lot about culture differences language uh -huh. uh, which school your kids go to um, places to travel all that sort of stuff mm. and then uh, a Kiwi business person might come out from that and think what a waste of time you know nothing happened wow. we just had all these meaningless pleasantries and a Chinese person might be going this is a great person I can trust him and uh, because I know, because um, New Zealand business culture is very transparent, what you see yeah. is what you get. Yeah, sure. Uh, there's a lot of self-service. Um, mm. It's easy to set up a company on the company's office. Mm. In China, it's murky as yeah, it's it's murky waters, and everywhere is different. Like there's so many different provinces and cities with their own ways of doing things. Yeah. And um, it has been driven primarily through relationship. Yeah. Like if you know somebody in government, you will get where you need to go faster. Right. So that relationship building skill becomes really important. Mm. It gets labeled as corruption but there's a that's even a gray area like some of it is pure corruption yeah but some of it is is just cultural that's fascinating and it's a hard thing for kiwis to get their mind around yeah yeah we're, we're really we're really like hobbits we're quite simple uh, yeah well <laughs> it's myself included <laughs> yeah well you know something of um i've been thinking of recently in, in regards to even decisions that people make is that i think maybe in western culture if I can speak for all Western culture, <laughs> yes. because why go, not? Go ahead, why not? Yeah, exactly, right? <laughs> um, is that, you know, 
we tend to, because we tend to operate very rationally, mm. we're very rationally driven. Mm. Um, and so everything is targeted at the rational kind of level. Uh, but anyone who's done a, any measure of behavioral science at all yep. knows the flaws of that. Mm. Um, what I find fascinating is that on the one hand, people will acknowledge that, you know, we're not all purely rational. Yep. And yet we get terribly upset when people prove it. Mm. Very much. And so when we're in a business context, you know, um, I mean, this idea goes back as far as Aristotle. I had a conversation with someone about this recently that says, you know, there's three reasons we believe anything. And one of them is logical and rational. Yeah. The second one is personal. Right. And the third one is societal or yes. relational. Everyone else thinks so, so I guess it's right. Yeah. yeah. Mm. And so I'll adopt the, the beliefs of people that I like and I'll get yeah. rid of the beliefs of people that I don't like. Yeah. So when we're approaching a business context, even in the Western world, yeah. you know, the amount of frustration I've seen from business people that says, oh man, we pitched them this amazing idea <laughs> yes. and they didn't buy it, what a bunch of idiots. Right. And you go, maybe idiots, yep. maybe also personal reasons you haven't thought of, yep. or maybe they don't like you. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> that could be it. And that's a complete kind of thing. So when yeah, you speak about that from a Chinese perspective, yep. I mean, in some ways, maybe it's a more complete yeah approach to deal making than we have oh absolutely oh, i think it is um you know yeah 80% of decisions are meant to be made on emotion yeah, not, right. not rationality yeah um the, the funny thing with me, like, um, I haven't been your typical business person. Mm -hmm. I sort of went in not really knowing what I wanted um, and just being genuinely curious. And right. it turns out that was a really good move. Yeah. <laughs> like, I accidentally. That. Yeah. So that that's part of my mission in life is to inculcate curiosity in my fellow Westerners. Um, mm. Because... Well, you're doing a good job so far. Thank you. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, so part of that is through our, our Western social media channels, which we're giving a bit of a scrub up and an overhaul. Uh -huh. um, Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, etc. Sure. Um, on the other side, um, I'm also feeding the curiosity that Chinese people have about yeah. the West and particularly New Zealand and mm. using that as a commercial channel. Mm. Um, so I've got a video show, which is the first and probably only um, <laughs> video show in Chinese for Chinese by a Kiwi, which is me. Wow. Um, yeah. That's <laughs> so that's, cool. um, that's one of my hardest jobs ever, but it's also really a lot of fun. I bet. Yeah. So um, it's really user driven. Yeah. Um, so like like I say I've been doing this social media thing for seven years mm. but I really productized it last year and made mm. it into a channel and but it's always driven by the questions people ask mm. common questions are, what are the differences in culture uh, what is New Zealand culture that's mm. actually a really good question right yeah <laughs> tell me tell me about that so New Zealand and I'm I'm sort of specifically not saying Aotearoa which yeah. is a Maori culture which goes back thousands of years sure I'm saying New Zealand culture which is from 1840 onwards, uh -huh. what is that? Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, you know, some stuff has been written about it. Um, some really nice tight comments like um, my friend Jake Pierce, who's a, an Oxford trained uh, anthropologist, hmm. coined the term rugged sophistication. Okay. And, and, and also sort of cheekily said educated Australians. <laughs> but um, that's kind of what we have, but but it's not as well articulated. No. And this question just kept on coming up because my Chinese friends, they've got it down pat what their culture is. Because right. hello, 5,000 years, you, you, yeah. you get a chance to sort of have the elevator pitch. Mm. And so they say, you know, what are five things that characterize New Zealand culture? I'm like, um, uh, L&P, the All Blacks, <laughs> you know, wow. Wheat Pigs, and I'm, I'm sort of spewing out commercial brands. Mm. But um, it's like, well, what do we have? But um, there are initiatives like the New Zealand Story, which is talking about our, our landscape, which mm. everyone knows by now, mm. and our culture, which is an open-minded, open-hearted culture. Interesting. Yeah. Okay, tell so me more about that. I think the fact that it's, this culture is still developing is yeah. what makes it really interesting. Okay. Um, it's, it's an endless answer to a short question. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, so that's, that's kind of the underlying basis of the, um, the podcast, uh, sorry, the, the video show. Uh -huh. um, as a commercial vehicle, we partner with Kiwi brands, say for example, Tuatara Brewing Company. Uh -huh. Part of their their catchphrase is New Zealandness. Okay. It's like yes, <laughs> tell right. us about New Zealandness. So we want them to tell us not just about their product, but about their philosophy. Mm. Um, and so that sort of gives us a criteria of who to work with. New brands, old brands, doesn't really matter. Mm -hmm. um, and it just gives us a platform to create interesting stuff. Um, because there's so many ways to promote your brand, only a few of them are effective. Yeah. Getting into the questions people are already asking is a really powerful way to do that. Yeah. Yeah. 
In fact, you challenged something, uh, a preconception of mine when you were yeah. talking just before too, that I have often thought, particularly in New Zealand culture, uh, that one of the reasons that we're not aware of it is because, you know, we're surrounded by it every day and so we, yes. don't, we don't observe it. Yeah. But having said that, uh, you know, when you speak of those in a Chinese culture yeah. who are very aware yes. of what their culture is, I'm yeah. thinking, well, you know, that, I don't know, just that, that kind of shakes that, to- that belief totally. for well, me. Well, I think, so there's two things going on. Like, in the Chinese education system since the 80s, when China opened up to foreign trade, yeah. there was this massive awareness that the, you need to engage with the rest of the world. Even oh, though wow. China's so big, mm. it, it, nowadays it doesn't have to so much. Mm. But that generation was like, you need to speak English. Mm. So that's why people like Jack Ma, he started his career learning English from tourists. Yeah. Um, Jack Ma from Alibaba. Yeah, Alibaba, yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, but, you know, so many people I meet, they've just got this sense of almost a sacred obligation, a duty that, that they must get better at their English, mm. this constant drive for self-improvement mm. and curiosity about other cultures and we just don't have it. Even though really? New Zealand is so tiny and, and so dependent on outward trade, yeah. we're so stuck in our Anglophone world. You know, these days it is a globalised world but mm. you look at England, you look at America, it, there's so much that we have in common and we think, well that's our world but there's this massive other world on our doorstep called China that is just really you know quite so unfamiliar to us and i think the kids at school at the moment they're experiencing super diversity so they'll probably be okay yeah. it's just us gen x's or gen y's <laughs> that are gonna you know perhaps struggle yeah yeah that, that's all right i mean i'm just kind of reeling from that a little bit to think that i guess i never would have considered until you mentioned it right now that yeah new zealanders can actually be remarkably insular because yeah. I've often thought of us as, as world travellers. Yeah, and we are. We, we, we like to travel. Yeah, who we are. But do we but travel in, in the mind? <laughs> well, exactly. Do we travel to Asia that much? Well, it's starting to increase. Yeah. Thankfully, yeah. Yeah. yeah that's it. That's but a I mean, I think of a lot trend. of my friends who are like, oh, let's go to London. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's kind of the default thing. Yeah, right? yeah, we go to go to the UK or maybe we go to the USA. Yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah. You know, or go to Europe. Yes. What's yeah. it? But do we go to China? Not so much, yeah. I, I would struggle Especially, to think. You know, my generation, I, I left high school in 93, mm. and basically all my friends went to the UK to, yeah. to get good jobs and stuff. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. eat crap food and live in bad weather. Exactly, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And eat, eat British food like uh, curry and kebabs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> all right. Mm. Okay, so let's come back then, I guess, to speak more about this uh, red circle. Yep. yep. It's going down. So, um, I mean, I'm just fascinated to hear more of the observations you've made about this interaction between Chinese culture and New Zealand culture. Yeah. Um, so what else shows up for you when you think about that? Uh, well, one of the clients we're working with is the New Zealand, New Zealand Rugby, okay. um, so, oh, really? which is an awesome client to work with. Yeah. So we, we run Weibo for the All Blacks, uh-huh. um, and it's been really interesting. Uh, rugby is a sport that we're the best at, um, but it's kind of like, if you look at the whole world, mm. not many people play rugby. No, exactly. <laughs> so it's like, yeah. yeah, we're awesome in a game that not many people have heard of. Yeah, right. Um, but for people who have heard of it, there's like a cult following. Yeah, sure. Um, and so that's what we found in, in China. It's not, um, it's not like soccer. Yeah. But then soccer has been actively working in Asia since 2004 mm. to really entrench itself. Mm. And so just like people everywhere get crazy about soccer, exactly the same in China. Really? Um, the government has set a goal of um, hosting and winning a soccer World Cup of by, course. I think, 2050. Okay. Because, yeah, why not? Well, I mean, when you've got a billion people to play with, why not? <laughs> exactly. There yeah. must be some good ones there somewhere. <laughs> yeah, and they've made the same sort of um, deal with rugby as well. Oh, really? So expect rugby to get bigger in China. Really? Yeah, yeah. But some surprising facts that we found, like... Um, in the Chinese men's rugby team is the 68th best in the world. Uh-huh. Women's is the 24th best in the world. Okay. Yeah, so this is really a big surprise for me, actually. Yeah. Because I've interacted with the non-rugby side of China's population, like the 90%. Uh-huh. And women don't like to be tough. They're not like Kiwi women. They like to be independent and strong. Yeah. And yeah. Most Chinese women have a, a goal of being... You know, princess and sure. finding Mr. Right and being totally looked after uh-huh. and that's again that's changing um, uh-huh. but um, that's why I was so surprised that you know the women's rugby team is doing so well I was like mm. okay well maybe I'm, I'm, I need to meet more diverse people mm. <laughs> mm. yeah so um, that's that's a cultural interchange that's happening and bringing it back home to New Zealand um, one of the other jobs that we're working on at the moment is with the Electoral Commission Mm. Um, their job is to basically get people enrolled to vote and Mm. especially to engage disengaged groups of people sure so research found that um, Chinese New Zealanders uh, are particularly at risk of feeling not at home in New Zealand yeah yeah partly Partly just because the Chinese culture is so strong, uh-huh. the roots tying you back to back home is, is so strong. 
there's not a democratic tradition there, so they're not used to voting. Right. Uh, that's a biggie. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's a good point. Uh, there's a sense that you know voting won't make any difference, which actually a lot of Westerners feel as well. <laughs> yeah. Um, so there's a sense of disengagement. Um, but apart from that, it's just like the the, the walls of language. Mm. So a lot of students come here, and some of the, the, this uh, it's called the general social survey. It uh-huh. just asks people in New Zealand how they feel. Uh huh. Um, some people come here and they don't have a friend in New Zealand for two years. Ouch. And I just can't imagine that. And that was some of the people I was meeting when I first got on Weibo. They were saying, you're the only uh, non-Chinese person that I know in Auckland. And wow. I was like, seriously? Wow. Okay. Well, come to church. Well, let's have lunch together or, you know, whatever. Uh, right. Um, and it's just, it's just it's so sad. Because yeah. these, the, for our education system, these people are massive. Um, cash cow. Oh, absolutely. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But I, I just also am, admire the courage of people who would stick out two years with no friends. Tell me like, about it. I, I'm a oxytocin junkie. Yeah, yeah, right. So I love to connect. I don't know if I could handle that. No. Um, so that's, I just... Why do you think they can do that? Uh, they, they learn discipline from a very early age. And at that point, by the way, uh, this is me back in the studio, um, I realized that something went horribly wrong with my recording. Um, And um, after a little bit of a heart palpitation, um, we reset things, it got us talking again, and uh, picked up the conversation actually around uh, a little bit of a divergent topic of what you do when things don't go to plan. Uh, And then we do get back underway with talking about China. So here's Simon again. These, these are the moments where it's like, this is the worst thing that could possibly happen. Yeah. And now I have experienced the worst thing <laughs> that could possibly happen. Right. So, what Next. else holds fear for you? Oh, that's awesome. That's really cool. Well, you, you know? Could, you could have died and it crashed. Oh, exactly. It could have burst into flames. <laughs> but, uh, you know. So, okay, what it looks like. That's a very mature way of looking at it. Uh, I, I learned it from something else in my life a little bit earlier on. But similar kind of principle. When yeah. you go, once you've experienced the worst thing that could happen. Then what else? <laughs> yeah. That's you know? really true. And again, I mean, I think it's a Seneca quote that says, you know, we suffer more in our imagination than reality. Hell yeah. Yeah, just having the, the ability to move on. That's what China taught me. Like, I, I, I sort of in, re- in retrospect think I shouldn't, go, shouldn't have gone to China okay. in 2015. But yeah. I, it toughened me up. Wow. I mean... Here is a really nice place yeah and people are generally pretty nice and yeah. um, in china not so much <laughs> interesting because i mean that's that's fascinating that you know when you talk about it being a very relational culture but then at the same time that it's purple full of contradictions <laughs> yeah so tell me about tell me about that are we recording that uh yes we are so this is but, good <laughs> so um just just we realized by the way we just talked about what it was about chinese people that meant that they could live here for two years without uh, friends around uh but then we launched into this other topic so we're just going to take a tangent hope that's okay um but so i was talking about um when in china although observing it's a very relational culture that he felt it was very i don't know how would you describe it well, it's a, it's a tough place. Uh, mm. I mean, you can't not be a tough place if you've got 1.4 billion people. Yeah. And I was staying in the, one of the biggest cities, Shanghai, 28 million people. It's just mind-blowing because uh, mm. New Zealand, the whole country, we've got 4.5 million people. So, um, uh, yeah, I just, every time I come back, I'm like, where is everybody? Because <laughs> you, just, you just go, but, but um, again this this comes back to cultural roots so in the west we've got the story of the good samaritan uh-huh. and we've got the sense of love your neighbor uh-huh. and your neighbors whoever's around you right um in china that's they don't have that story yeah and plus there's just too damn many people right um plus sadly um in, in recent years there have been events like somebody stopped to help a stranger yeah. and then the stranger sued that person for their medical expenses because there's no social welfare system i see and so everyone like there's videos that go viral of people getting run over or injured or whatever and other people just standing by walking past whatever and, and it causes a lot of angst because people are going what's wrong with us yeah but um that's what that's what it is so it is very relational but that tends to be within the bonds of family uh company Mm. uh which are often connected Mm. um if you're a member of the communist party then that's really good networking that's like sort of joining the freemasons in in the west (laughs) (laughs) uh yeah yeah um and and often you get a lot of people who are not they don't believe that much in communism but they're in it because oh yeah mum and dad says i had to join and yeah to go to the boring meetings and stuff yeah so so it's very much pre-prescribed um you know networks that mm. people have social media just like in the west is coming and disrupting that yeah so all my friends pretty much everyone i met has been 
through pure random chance. Uh -huh. Somebody happened to follow my Weibo and we struck up a conversation. Okay. One of my best friends in the whole world, um, we've known each other since I first got on Weibo. Uh -huh. And um, the first time we met was in 2014, like three years after first actually meeting online. Mm. And um, he, he's uh, now working with us. Mm. Uh, so you, these real relationships can come out, but it's, it's from a real random place which is very disruptive yeah uh, to the culture um, yeah. and it's because i had that western attitude of like whoever's in front of me is somebody that god sent them into my path and i should be good to them you know yeah um which is kind of an unusual way even for westerners to think i think <laughs> well i mean there's a lot to be said for even if people wouldn't directly ascribe to you know Christianity or any kind of major major religion in, in New Zealand. That, yeah. um, I, I mean, universe. I love that, that point you made about um, about morality, and I hope we didn't lose that from uh, from earlier on. Um, when you're just talking about how, for um, you know, we've got a uh, it's a very kind of shame, it's a guilt guilt kind yeah, yeah, of yeah, system in, in the West, in the West yeah. and a shame system um, in, the in the East. Yep. Yeah. Um, actually, could you just in case we have lost a little bit of that? <laughs> let me, you want to just, yeah, yeah. Let me summarize that again. So in the West, we have, especially with our Protestant tradition, we've got God sees me. Yeah. It's all it's individualistic. So yeah. if I do something wrong, it's between me and God, and right. I should, you know, act accordingly. Yeah. Uh, in the West, it's shame based. It's like everybody sees me. In the me. East, you mean? Uh, in, in the East, sorry. Yeah. 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 Um, the 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 Chinese way of thinking is shame based. So if I do something wrong, what will everyone think of me? Mm. Um, and even that's even that's shifting and changing. So there's um, there's two Chinas. There's the cities, the main cities like Beijing and Shanghai, mm. which are very urban uh, and very liberal in their sort of ways of thinking. And then there's the traditional rural countryside people. Uh -huh. So two years ago, there was this controversial video when a couple were having sex in the changing room of Uniqlo, which is a big retailer, uh -huh. and um, this video went massively viral. Uniqlo was really embarrassed about it because yeah. people said, oh, that's a cunning marketing stunt. And they were like, no, sorry, it wasn't us. But um, my friends who were in like Beijing and Shanghai were like, oh, that's normal. And I'm like, what? <laughs> and, and then my friends in the countryside, like in other sort of second tier and uh -huh. low cities, they were like, oh my gosh, that girl's reputation is ruined. Everybody's seen her and now they know what, she's, what kind of person she is. And it was this extremely, completely opposite reactions and right. like my reaction as a Westerner was somewhere in between like yeah probably it won't bring any harm to her but what a pity that she did that yeah <laughs> I mean it's interesting though if I, I apply that to say somewhere like the US where there is something to be said for even like that you know in the blue states and the red states definitely same sort of thing but yeah, yeah. That those in kind of rural um, more rural communities tend to be a little bit more collectively driven yes um, yeah, that's true and more uh, say traditional morality <laughs> in my lawn. yeah yeah exactly right <laughs> um, whereas the more urbanised people seem to become yes um, then I don't know, maybe it's just because there's more opportunities to get up to trouble. Uh, yeah, I think, so. I think so. You can be anonymous in a city. Yeah. Uh, and yeah. Especially foreigners have a terrible reputation in China. Oh, really? Of just, you know, because they're away from their family. Oh, of course. And they can sort of do whatever they want. Yeah, right. And then, you know, the, the amount of conversations I've had with heartbroken girls who've met oh. a Western guy who is like, I thought we were going to get married, but no. Um, no. Wow. He now just wants to go home and um, yeah. we're finished. And uh, yeah, all different, very, very different expectations of how our scenarios are going to play out. Yeah. 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 So tell me about then how that works for the Chinese community within New Zealand. Yeah. So, um, so it's really interesting. So New Zealand's a country of immigrants. Even Tangata Whenua came here from somewhere. Sure. Um, my ancestors came here from Scotland and Germany. And um, I'm always, I always wonder at what stage did they stop speaking German? Yeah. Uh, it's actually quite easy. World War One. <laughs> that was easy. And then <laughs> yeah, right. um, so my wife is Samoan, so she's a first generation New Zealander. Okay. So I see the language happen in, in her family. Mm. That she's the interpreter. She's the one who has to be very um, mentally agile yeah. just to help her parents. Right. And then I my, my Chinese friends who are just, you know, new here mm. and even the generation that came here in the year two thousand versus the generation that comes in the year twenty seventeen are different from mm. each other mm. um, because China changes so fast. Mm. So people who've been here like 15 years have really, even if they haven't caught up with the language, mm. they've adopted a slower pace, ah, a gentler, gentler sort of expectation of life. Sure. Um, because Chinese business pace is ferocious. Oh, sure. Because from early, you know, early years, they're taught to, you know, work really hard, yeah. work harder than the next person because, mm. you know, there's only that many opportunities. Yeah. Whereas in New Zealand, we've got a welfare state, we've got sort right. of a sense that 
it, it, whatever happens, everything's going to be okay. Yeah. Um, she'll be right, mate. Yeah yeah, 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 yeah. And so the ones who've been here for a while have, even if they didn't want to, that's become part of them. Yeah, yeah. okay. The ones just arriving here, um, and I'm trying not to stereotype because there's actually many different categories. Mm. People who come here for business are often a little bit disappointed. They're like... Um, I thought it was bigger, you know. Yeah, right. The land is really big, but the market is it's, so small yeah, sure. and slow. It's small and slow. How can you be small and slow? Yeah, right. <laughs> um, people who don't come for business, they come for jobs or study. Yeah. Um, again, there's often a lot of disillusionment. Interesting. Um, yeah. Okay, tell me yeah. more. Tell like me more. New Zealand is, has been called a lifestyle superpower. Uh -huh. It's great if you're old or very young or rich or all of the above. Actually, uh -huh. you can't be old and young at the same time. But it's a really good place to retire. It's a really good place to be a kid because uh, it's safe, relatively mm. speaking. Mm -hmm. um, and if you have a lot of money, you can spend a lot of, you know, um, really cool things, experiences. Yeah, sure. You can have a very rich life. Um, if you don't have much money in New Zealand, whatever your ethnicity is, it kind of sucks. Right. Because our it's cost of living is actually really crazy. Like, th yeah. this is what I miss in China. I'll go to breakfast and it would be like um, seven RMB, which is just over a dollar. Yeah, right. And it's a nice healthy, well, it's a nice filling breakfast. Sure. <laughs> so so there's that whole thing of like, New Zealand is set up for a certain kind of person. Mm. Um, yeah, so what was the question again? <laughs> well, I was just thinking about, you know, because you mentioned what it's like for, say, when Westerners end up in China. Yes. And how that just, I don't know, the, the, the wake that that leaves behind it. Yeah. So, um, because I am fascinated and one of the, you know, initial reasons I thought for wanting to talk with you about this as well is that, um, being Chinese in New Zealand yeah. and being much more aware of your culture than most New Zealanders are aware of their own. Their own, yeah. Uh, and also too, I mean, I guess the, the real tough one I guess I wanted to get to is how, in terms of how they see themselves perceived here. Yes. Because, I mean, the housing market, particularly in, in yes. Auckland, like if you want to score easy points, yeah. you can just get up and say, you know, I'm going to stop Chinese people buying houses. Yeah, exactly. And, there's, and there's, you win votes. Yeah, there's 5% yeah. of the vote right there. Exactly. So yeah. how yeah, how's that there, being experienced? Yeah, there's a, there's a real sense of um, us and them, sadly. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's what I'm just trying to be is just be me in that community. Yeah. Um, so I'm in a lot of groups on WeChat, which is the most popular app in China. Mm. Um, it kind of is the internet for, for Chinese people. Sure. Um, and so there's a lot of local groups and mm. I try to, I, I have no moral authority to preach and say, don't be us and them, but right. I just try and demonstrate by being, I'm part of, now this is where English breaks down. We don't have a mato or tato. Uh-huh. Um, so Tell me more about that. I'm trying to remember. So, so in Māori and Samoan, tato means us inclusively so uh -huh. I mean I'm including you as I say us yeah whereas Mato is I'm saying us I'm talking about a group of people who is not you ah I see yeah yeah okay yeah okay. so Polynesian yeah. languages have that English yeah. doesn't have that Chinese doesn't have it but that's the kind of difference that I'm trying to make yeah and especially with our work with the Electoral Commission mm. I'm asking people the question and even in English it's a tough one what does it mean to be a New Zealander? Mm. And so like, that's kind of a very abstract question. It's, some people are finding it really tough to answer. I bet. What I'm doing is getting their facial reactions because it's like, <laughs> wow, this is a tough question. I'm like, that's going to be my video. Thank you. That's cool. And then I say, are you a New Zealander? Yeah. So I was with some people the other day and, and two out of 10 said, yep, I'm a New Zealander. They you know, had no hesitation. Sure. And that's partly dependent on length of time here, mm. intention. Mm. Um, whether you travel back and forth mm. uh, and who your friends are. Mm. Um, so there's all this stuff about self-perception. Yeah. And um, New Zealand is kind of undergoing a bit of an identity crisis. Um, you made me think about that whole idea about a cultural cringe. Yeah, yeah. So is that, I mean... Well, I don't know if it's a cringe or an opportunity. Yeah. Um, Ooh, like that. Because two things are happening. Okay. Um, one thing is New Zealand is growing up. Uh -huh. At the same time, it's becoming super diverse. Yeah, So yeah. Um, for from a Chinese person's experience, now it's actually possible. You've got three Chinese TV channels in Auckland. Yeah. You've got a Chinese, at least one Chinese newspaper. Yeah. You've got a bunch of Chinese websites, WeChat groups. You yeah. can stay in the bubble if you want to. Interesting. Just like an English speaking expat can go to Shanghai mm. and you can survive without learning any Chinese. It's kind of like, why would you? Right. But you can, it's yeah. possible. Yeah. Same thing, New Zealand's at that stage of enough Chinese population to, to sustain that. Okay. But, um, and people do two things with that. Some people embrace that and mm. they maybe are introverts mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. then other people just bust out of that because they don't want to be stuck in that. Mm. Yeah. You see though, you you and yourself though are a great kind of counter argument to the necessity to be an extrovert because I yeah. think <laughs> wanting to wanting to learn 
mm. and, and the love of learning. If I was to identify a trait that I think, um, again, cuts across all personality types and uh, cultural backgrounds and that yeah. sort of thing, if you have a love of learning, yes, that creates, that comes with it a certain momentum. Definitely. Yeah. Um, that will overcome any of that kind of yeah. stuff. And, and you recognize that in others. Yeah. So when I'm, when I'm having first conversations with people on WeChat, I'll quickly suss out whether they really love learning or not. Uh-huh. And if they're kind of lazy, sometimes I'll be really blunt with them and say, look, you know, I'm not here to teach you. I'm not a teacher. Uh, yeah. Sort of really put that out there. I'm not a teacher. But if you want to have a friend that you have, can have conversations with, that's awesome. Sure. Let's do that. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Sure. And how's that generally, how's it, that received? It helps weed out the wrong people. Yeah. Because some people are just like, I just want the right answer. And it's like, really? Do, have you lived? <laughs> have you yeah. experienced life? There's no right answer yeah. or wrong answer. It's... Um, it's very nuanced. Life mm. is very, um, it's not shades of grey, it's multicoloured. <laughs> yeah. So tell me more about the, the, the network then in terms of where you, where you see this going. You talked about yeah. facilitating, um, you know, conversations between uh, either expat Chinese or yep. uh, visiting Chinese. Yep. Um, in fact, how does that conversation go? Do you, oh. do you find there's much of a, like, I don't know, Well, it's, 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 it's like a porous wall. Um, it's sort of like, I used to try to categorize people, uh-huh. um, but now i found that, you know, if somebody's interested in New Zealand, they're on a life cycle. Uh-huh. So there's this thing called life cycle marketing where you, you think about somebody from their first journey of hearing about your product or service yeah. right through to advocating to others. Yeah. And it's the same ex- relationship with New Zealand that, that, that Chinese have. Uh-huh. And so until recently, the New Zealand government didn't really think that way. They yeah. had silos called Education New Zealand, they had Tourism New Zealand, they had mm. um, New Zealand Trade and Enterprise. Now those organisations are starting to work better together um, and working with some of the biggest organisations in New Zealand. Uh-huh. What Red Circle Network is doing is coming alongside some of those and also a, a little bit smaller, not that small, like we don't, we can't help mm. really small under-resourced companies, but if they are serious about China, mm. we can really get alongside them and help identify what is their journey, mm. their journey to China and their customer's journey into having a relationship with New Zealand. That's mm. why we have the My New Zealand channel. Yeah. Um, because traditionally what we used to do was um, we would just set up a company's own channel. Yeah. So basically starting from zero, mm. pretty hard. Mm. <laughs> and, and there's a lot of things that are bureaucratic and time consuming in China. So just setting up a channel can take ages. Yeah. So. We have our own channel as well as a way of introducing products to market and making it part of the New Zealand story. Sure. Um, so it's sort of advertorial, uh, I suppose you could call it. Um, that helps companies, if they don't already know, it helps them discover their why. Ah. Like Simon Sinek we were yes. talking about before, you know, yeah. start yeah. with why. So Tuatara Brewing, for example, um, it's not just about good tasting beer and it's made very purely. Yeah. But, you know, we just started working with them so I'm going to be asking and drilling into what is it that makes you really essentially New Zealand um, culturally um, and things like practically if somebody wants to understand beer culture Mm. because wine has been doing really well in China for the last 10 or 20 years Uh beer is starting to do that Okay. uh, and there is a distinct culture around craft beer that people are getting into right so it's like okay well I'm and, and this is the cool thing I myself don't know much about it yeah so I can actually put on the hat uh, virtually speaking mm. of a Chinese person and say tell me about beer culture yeah I thought it was just people getting drunk and you know yeah right um, same with rugby we, we haven't got mm. racing yet but we got racing uh, we got rugby and beer <laughs> yeah I, I actually remember hearing um I do drink whiskey every now and then yeah um, that it was a similar kind of thing that one of the main yes. things that changed in the whiskey industry yeah. and even why they've had to go to a new model of um, how they uh, classify the different types of scotch and things that you can get yeah it's simply because there was suddenly such a massive demand for you know 12 15 18 year old scotch wow that they couldn't actually get enough of it wow go so, back in time and make some more <laughs> which is which is why suddenly there's um for those whiskey aficionados now you know um why they've started to move towards like color grading on certain wow. whiskeys okay that's cool yeah if you look at it it's, it's simply because suddenly china discovered whiskey and yes. went it's yeah like once something catches on it really catches on it does and it's it's sort of a magic how it happens <laughs> there's not a really super predictable way of making that happen but um yeah, yeah. no absolutely and we we're at this really interesting historical time where the West is still perceived in food and beverage as yeah. really high end, okay. and local Chinese brands are not considered high end. Okay. It used to be that way with technology. Yeah. Um, around the time that this book I was talking about came out, 2004, Lenovo had just bought IBM's computer business, uh-huh. and that was the, the first Chinese company to really come out there and say, we're a global company, yeah. and we're good, and yeah. we're good enough to buy IBM. 
and everyone was like really <laughs> but <laughs> yeah. now like even when i started 2010 people still looked up to you know apple and and western brands generally mm. um, but in technology now it's like huawei lenovo mm. Mm. Um, i don't know if you've heard of xiaomi no um, xiaomi sort of came up and has gone down a little bit it's a cell phone um, and accessories brand uh-huh. um, but just Chinese technology is on the rise yeah food and beverage may take a while yeah and that's this is the opportunity for Kiwi brands to get in there and, and um, be excellent yeah but be demonstrably excellent yeah <laughs> like this is the thing about Kiwi culture we're almost in the worst position culturally because for 90 years from when we started exporting we had Mother England so we we're yeah. just a sales yeah you sure know, we just shipped it to England and they yeah. did they bought it. Yeah. In the 70s, we became part of Asia Pacific. We yeah. didn't become part of the European community, and we had to learn marketing. But that's not a very long time ago. Yeah. And we're competing in the Chinese marketplace against American brands. Americans have been marketing since forever. Yeah, right. They know how to tell their story with right with with a lot of money as well. Yeah. They got budget. Yeah. So most Kiwi brands that we meet are a little bit under resourced and a little bit naive about mm. how difficult the journey is going to be. Mm. And so our fun job is to say. Um, thanks for your interest in China. It's going to be damn hard, you know, <laughs> and you, you probably want to give up. So it's like it's a okay. it's a real interesting sales pitch. <laughs> yeah. So I've already already decided we need to do a round two of this because <laughs> my, my my time is starting to to, to go, and so I want to give you an opportunity, I guess, for, for those who have been listening and, and want to get connected with you and what you're doing. Yep. What's the best way for them to do that? Sure. So um, hit us up on our website, redcircle.network. Uh huh. Yep. Um, and also I'm on um, LinkedIn, Facebook. Twitter everywhere just as my name Simon Young mm-hmm. um, look for the guy with the hat and the Chinese name that's me that's him Simon Young so fascinating insight actually I learned so much out of that and realizing too that we can have a very isolated view of the world in New Zealand that, that shocked me a little bit um, but nevertheless that's the world we live in guys that's what it means to uh, engage with China and understand a little bit of the differences there um, between their culture and I guess what we would call a typical Kiwi culture if even there is such a thing nevertheless that's another episode of the Andrew Curtis show down do get in touch with Simon if um, you know you're looking to broaden your horizons in that respect or if you're a, uh, a Chinese uh, expat looking for people to connect with here as well Obviously, that's a big thing for him too. For me, though, if you want to connect, don't forget you can always email the Andrew Curtis Show at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. More soon. Don't call it a comeback. I've been here for years. I'm rocking my pants.